So, um, oh, I didn't introduce myself. My name is Jamin. I'm a pastor at Christ City Church. And uh, we are in a series called Physical Contact. And it's a series on the physicality of human spirituality. And so one of the things that we're highlighting in this series is the connection between our physical material selves and the world of faith and spirituality and showing that those things are intertwined in incredibly important ways. The reason for this series is because many of us grew up with, and still it's even in the water and in the language that we use, that what is spiritual is somehow completely separate from what is physical, that what we do with our bodies is somehow uh, inconsequential in many ways, except for a select few areas from what happens to us spiritually. And so we've been through this, going through this series mostly in the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, tackling different parts of this issue and trying to reintegrate our understanding and our imagination about the spiritual and the physical and the connection between the two. This morning, we're going to do that with this passage, and I've titled this sermon, Pain and Gain, right? And um, to, to start with, I, I was thinking about uh, my, my baby boy, Xavier. He's, he's going to be two at the end of this month, and um, he's, man, he's such a sweet little guy, and he will, he will uh, come to me for, for love and affection. He was really sad when I was leaving this morning. We got to go on a little vacation, and we were all in the same room for several days, and I was with him pretty much almost the entire time, and so he was sad to see me see me leave, but um, my wife's one of those people holding out for CCK, because we got three little ones, and, uh, and, and Zavi could, he could stop this whole service, so. Um, but, uh, you know, he, the thing about him is he freely asks for what he needs and tells me when he wants love and affection from me, and even like when he gets hurt, even if I do it, like I accidentally bump him or, or uh, with a door or something like that, he'll immediately come to me uh, and want me to make it right, you know, by giving him a hug and giving him a kiss and, you know, just telling him, uh, sorry, buddy, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. And I was thinking about myself and, and, and about us as adults and how somewhere along the way we just stop having that naive sense of being able to go to the person that we need something from, that we need love from, that we need forgiveness from, and instead we will go to great lengths to avoid having that conversation, giving that hug, that handshake, and making things right. And um, in this passage, uh, we see Paul describing this type of life and this existence that leans into those things that are almost childlike in nature and recognizes that in order to have a full life, it requires uh, the reality of pain. It requires us to wade in the waters of the things that we've grown to associate pain with. Because here's the thing. As Xavier grows up and he reaches out for that love to me or other people, he won't always receive what he's hoping to get. And it hurts. 
and we store those things even in our physical bodies. There's a lot of research around this, in fact. And uh, over time, uh, we get the idea, and it's reinforced in, in churches, in advertisements, in social media, in self-help books, that there's a way to have what you want in life without pain, that you can have no pain and still a lot of gain. And Paul's passage right here is telling us, actually, no, if you want to have a full life, it requires a higher tolerance to pain. So let's take a look at this for a moment and see how this shows up in the text here. So in the first couple of verses, if you look at it with me, he's saying this, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So, um, yeah, the, uh, this, this idea of, of receiving God's grace in vain. Have you ever, has somebody ever given you the apology that you really wanted from them, but then when they gave it to you, you, you couldn't receive it before? Anybody? Yeah? I know I have. I'm like, oh, if they would just apologize. And then they finally do, and I'm like, no, that wasn't right. That wasn't the right kind of apology. That wasn't good enough. Should have done it like this. If you're married, then this has definitely happened. If you've, if you've heard married people arguing, you've heard this happen, right? Um, and Paul right here is addressing this in some regard, addressing this idea that we deal with. It's not an idea. It's a reality that we deal with, that we want things to be just right to where when we receive it, whether it's grace from God or from somebody else or we're the one extending the grace, that it puts us in a position where we're really safe and we're protected. We hear it or receive it in just the right kind of way. And that's really just not life. And, and he goes on here. He says, so I don't want you to receive God's grace in vain. He says, and he's quoting a scripture from Isaiah. He says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And then he says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. It's not later. It's not when you finally have that degree or when you've lost that weight you want to lose, you get in the shape you want to get into, or you have that right kind of relationship or the right kind of house, or you've achieved that salary for you to partake and become co-workers with God in this ministry of grace. But it's right now in all the stuff that you're dealing with and all the things that haven't been worked out yet that may never get worked out, that the time of salvation of God's grace visiting you and your sphere of influence is right now. And it's, it's fascinating the way Paul quotes this verse in Isaiah, and, and, he, and he'll do this from time to time, because when we look at the context of the verse of Isaiah, it's saying something different than what we might uh, connect to what Paul is doing with it here. So um, I want to read it to you. I want to read you a few of the verses there, uh, Isaiah 49, verses 8 through 11, where Paul is quoting from, and see how this plays out in our desire to kind of have things just right before we accept or receive this grace. It says in verse 49, verses 8 through 11, this is what the Lord says, in the time of my favor, I will answer you 
and in the day of salvation I will help you. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances. To say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads, and my highways will be raised up. So this, in this passage... This day of the Lord, this day of the Lord's favor is a day when all these things will be resolved. When people will eat freely, the highways will be safe, all this kind of stuff is worked out. And so Isaiah is looking towards this time of physical salvation for the people of God where those things will be solved and they'll be made right and it'll just kind of be worked out by God. And while we, we, we hope and long for that day, when shalom, when peace, when justice is perfectly manifest in the world, Paul is saying, actually, the time of the salvation that you're looking for isn't to wait until that happens, but it's right now. It's right now in this current moment. Don't wait. Don't receive the gifts that you're being given by God in vain. Can I get an amen from somebody out there? All right. So that's a good and terrifying thing for us because it is so easy for us to wait and say, I'll do that tomorrow. Right. I'll I'll take care of that later when it's worked out, when things are in place, when stuff is right. I'll mend that relationship. I'll say I'm sorry for that thing. I'll finally stop hoarding my wealth and my possessions and become generous and reach out to others that need what I have a plenty of, right? It's easy to do that. And Paul is doing something very interesting and even poetic here by saying, no, it's not then, but it's right now in the presence of all the injustice, of all the things that you're not getting, of all the risk that it will cost you, the faith that it will take a gift from God to move in this direction, right? So this is why, not just here, all over the world, it's easy. There's a formula for a charismatic leader in any place that will tell you, look, you don't, you don't have to uh, change. You don't have to become vulnerable in the here and now because everything is actually going to work out for you if you just follow me. And we believe those people. We believe them easily and quickly because that's what we want to be true. We want it to be true that if we just follow this formula, this path, say these things, do these particular things, we'll somehow get by, we'll skirt through without ever having to open our hearts, as Paul says in the end of the passage, and experience the vulnerability of believing that the day of God's salvation and grace is right here and now. Here's the thing, you know. um, It's it's always easier to change tomorrow than today, right? That's just called procrastination, right? To say uh, tomorrow 
I'll do that thing. Change tomorrow is usually going to sound better than change today, right? And Paul, in, in urgency here, is telling us it's today. So what is that thing? What's that thing right now that you could make right, that thing you need to confess, that thing that's binding you up? For me, so much of what I realized later in my adult life is that was just simply shame. There was so much for me that was bound up in what I couldn't do, what I didn't know, and what I didn't have the answers for. I needed salvation from my shame, that it was okay to not know those things, to not have those answers, to not be strong enough or wise enough to solve the problems in my life. And what I found, ironically enough, is it wasn't faith to believe that none of that needed uh, to be admitted or that I could just throw some scripture at that, but it actually took more faith to allow myself to admit that I was human and allow other people to hear that from me. Just to say, I don't know. It unlocked so much freedom for me. That was the thing today because tomorrow I might be able to know it. I might be able to figure it out. So right now, I'm going to continue to live in this state of denial about what I actually need right now, that I need salvation right now, that I need to confess those things right now in my life and not wait any longer. Um, I'm reminded of the, uh, the quote by MLK Jr., Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., that when he says, the time is always right to do what is right. And people love to quote King. Everybody and their mom and every political party will quote King to their own ends. But the context in which he said these words was to uh, some college graduates at Oberlin College in October 1964. And the context in which he was saying this was to encourage students to continue the nonviolent fight for racial equality. He said this, let nobody give you the impression that the problem of racial injustice will work itself out. Let nobody give you the impression that only time will solve the problem. And that's what we want to do with the problems in our lives, the problems that we're connected to in our societies, is we want to just say, I'll do it tomorrow. Change will be easier because it's not today. But Paul says, no, the time is now. The day is now to do those things. So, um, if we don't, if we don't take advantage of the day, if we don't realize that salvation is being offered to us now and that grace is available to us right now, then it cripples us in different ways. Um, one thing that has happened in Western uh, medicine is we have focused on treating the body for so long without being aware of how that affects the mind and the spirit of the person. So when somebody goes to the doctor, it's like, well, you need surgery, you need you know, um, medicine to take, you need these types of things. And so often there are other ways that the person could be helped 
uh, beyond those things. So if you're depressed, it could be that there are things in your life that you need the spiritual and emotional encouragement and training and support to be able to face in your life. It could be that if you're having physical health issues, that if you're having a lot of tension in your back or your neck, that there are things in your moral and spiritual life that you're avoiding. And that those things are part and parcel for what's happening to you. See, what happens is when we see an animal in a certain type of captivity, when we were on vacation at this state park the other day, um, there were snakes in captivity and they were feeding them a frozen, previously frozen dead mouse. And they were talking about what the snakes eat and the snake didn't really want to eat the mouse. And it's because the snake wasn't meant to live in a glass box and eat uh, microwave dinners, right? It was, it was meant to be out in the wild. And the same thing is true of human beings. When we bottle up those things, those feelings that we have about life, those things that we need to build and reconnect relationships with, whether it be with God or with each other or even within ourselves, then we suffer the same sort of fates as those animals in captivity. We begin to break down. We begin to lose parts of the functioning of ourselves in physical, material ways that relate to our spiritual condition. And so in no way could we say or begin to think that we can get by always waiting until tomorrow. So, um, if, if that's, the, if that's the, the, the negative side of things, of, of living like an animal that's in captivity and slowly wasting away, when we always put things off until tomorrow, the, the grace we need, the grace somebody needs from us, what's, what's the alternative? What does the other kind of life look like? Well, it's this list that Paul gave us here. So when we go back to the scriptures, starting in verse 3, he says, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. So what I hear Paul doing there is taking some responsibility for his life. You know, in America, we love to say, like, I'm free and I can do what I want to do. And, you know, everybody's just kind of kind of deal with it and they have to do their own thing, too. But being a human being requires responsibility. We have been given a set of physical system and order and consequences and actions with consequences. And Paul is saying, I'm taking responsibility for the life that I have and for the message that I have to deliver, and I want to make sure that I'm not a stumbling block to other people. And what does he do? What, what is he living like? in order to not put stumbling blocks in people's way to experience the now salvation of Jesus Christ. He says this, uh, rather as servants of God, in verse 4, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance. In great endurance. Um, That faith, that living fully human, requires endurance. It requires being in troubles and hardships and distresses, in hard work, sleepless nights, in purity, understanding, and patience. What, what Paul 
I'm not going to reread the whole thing. What Paul is describing here is a life that is full, a life that's not a freedom from trouble, pain, issues, but a life that gives us freedom to engage in those things fully. Because here's the thing. The vulnerability we're afraid of because of the pain that comes with it, the thing we're putting off till tomorrow in our relationships and our life, it is going to take pain to deal with it. We're going to get let down by people. We're going to get let down by God. We're going to think that God should have done something and didn't, that we had the right faith and God just didn't come through. And it's going to be painful. And Paul is saying, look, I'm not giving you a message of, hey, if you do all this, it's going to work out great for you. He's saying, here's the kind of life that I'm living. I'm living one where I'm bumping into all all the stuff, the good and the bad, that right now I'm experiencing the day of God's salvation, and it's a full life, full of pain and heartache. It's full of the, the frightening moments of celebration of the good in life, knowing that they're temporary. It's full of the grief in life, the sadness of life, the people talking bad about me, throwing shade, right? It's full of all these things of glory and dishonor, of bad report and good report. Here's here's the thing. Yeah. We want freedom from. We want freedom from the pain, from the struggle. And if you grew up in America, this is what you've been taught. It's what's been injected into your bones. That's what freedom is. It's freedom from having to deal with the pain, from dealing with the past, from dealing with the consequences of how we treat the environment or where we start wars or if we're inconvenienced to not get enough red meat or oil or something like that. that that's what freedom means. And it's diametrically opposed. That means the opposite of the freedom we see that Paul describes in the scriptures. It's not a freedom from responsibility. It's a freedom to live responsibly with our whole humanity. So, um, taking a look at the last uh, few verses there, uh, starting in uh, verse um, 11. And reading to 13, he says, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are, holding, we are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. So, if we want to live this type of life, if we want to be able to engage in the struggles of life, if we can't get away from them, if we can't honestly get away from those struggles, and the goal of Christian life is not to do that, but to embrace them, to know there will be pain, and that that's the point of place where faith comes from, then how do we do it? We actually have to open our hearts As Paul said, he said, this is what led me to this place and this position in life, to be able to open my heart to the relationships within all this drama going on. So if you're waiting 
You're waiting for things to work out for you. You're waiting for another time when, you, when you've got yourself financially situated the way you want to be to do something about those things that are gnawing at you, doing the right things in the relationships that you have, in the world that you're in right now. That's what you need. You need to be able to open your heart. It can unlock things for you. To talk to somebody, to get the help you need to talk about the shame that you're wrestling with, the rage that you have inside of you. You know, an example of this writ large in our culture is, it is this whole thing about like Juneteenth and critical race theory and all these things going on right now, all these arguments. And we have folks who are raging against simply being able to talk about the past of our country. They, ha- they, they are unable to imagine how our world could move forward, how our culture could move forward, if we were to honestly talk about the harm that was done to different peoples within our country. Unimaginable harm. I mean, uh, some, some of us in this room have been affected by relationships where one bad conversation happened and a family member no longer talks to another one, much less the types of things that went on in the foundation and the continuation of our country. So these things have incredible consequences. And it starts with us as individuals. Are we able and willing to confront the pain in our own lives? And can you do it on your own? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So that means you have to be vulnerable enough to start opening up your hearts to the people in your life that you can trust to start talking about those things. And it's terrifying. Oh my gosh, it's terrifying. And that's where faith comes in. Faith is not some certainty about some abstract idea about the way the world works. It's the fear of engaging in this day of salvation in the right here and now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for uh, how it encourages us to act today. To see today as the day of salvation. Today is the day uh, in which we can decide to change, to receive grace, to give grace. Would you give us the courage to do that and to reach out for help uh, in the ways that we need help to do that? Amen.